0: This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Today, we're talking with Kim Cameron-Smith. We've had her on the show before. You can find the previous episode over in our archives, OutsideTheWalls.com. She is the author of uh, several books. The one we talked about last time was discipleship parenting, planting the seeds of faith. And I don't know if it was meant to be, but this one feels like a a sequel, a natural sequel. You've been uh, maybe you've been following the the procedures and the ideas set forth in that book, discipleship parenting, and then something happens. Inevitably, they grow up and they become teenagers, and you were like, I'm not, I I thought I was well-prepared. I had the thing figured out and then they happened to me. Uh, And so now there, if you feel a little lost, there's another book. Uh, This is brand new from our Sunday Visitor Press. It's called Rooting Your Teen in the Faith, a Field Guide for Catholic Parents. Kim, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me, TL. And I have to tell you, I was not intending to write a follow-up to that first book. I I was actually working on a devotional for parents, a rosary devotional. And, um, you know, I would give little uh, workshops to parents and constantly the parents of teenagers were really anxious about, you know, they, they really understood intuitively what I was saying about younger children, but they said exactly what you're saying. Oh my gosh. I thought I understood my kid. I thought he was going to be the same through the teen years, but something happened overnight. Something changed. And so, you know, I at that time had one adult child, um, two teenagers and, and an elementary school teacher. Now I have elementary school child. Now I have... Two teenagers and two adult children. So, um, you know, I thought I don't know if I have um, enough to say about teenagers. Well, I did. <laughs> so, <laughs> I so when I thought about when I thought about my own experience with my teenagers, and I had that exact experience that you're talking about. I I, I remember my young my older son when he was younger. So my son Aiden, he was so lovely and so. Um, sweet. And I just thought, why do parents complain about their teenagers? So I just, Aiden's so lovely. And he was a very relatively easy teenager, but it's something changes in the teen years. And just as their nutritional needs change in the teen years, their faith needs change. So my book is just focused on faith development. But we all know if you have a teenager, you know there's this seismic shift in the teen years and what they need from us changes. But one of the big messages in my book is you are still needed. Mm -hmm. It It is a fallacy of modern culture that teenagers now need each other and they're starting; they do start to turn toward their peers more because of their sexual maturing. But they continue to need the guidance of their grown-ups and their parents. The parents are still the teen's
0: most important attachment figure in the teen years. So we're coming up on Pentecost, this birthing of the church. The, the disciples have been following Jesus for three years, and now there is a moment after the resurrection, uh, after the that forty days of spending extra time. Uh, with the risen Christ, and ten days after the Ascension, the Holy Spirit comes and empowers the the disciples and the apostles to go out and to m- not only be disciples but to make disciples. And I wonder if, in some way, the the teen years are like that time between Easter and the Ascension, that time where there is still interpersonal and discipleship things going on, but it has shifted now because there's a new reality yes. as Christ has risen. It's, it's a, a more mature and more mature in the sense of the disciples are now aware of things that they were not aware of before the resurrection. Uh, and so I feel almost like our place as parents of teens in this moment is to, uh, to be like Christ to the apostles at that moment, speaking to them in a more knowing way, to prepare them for being sent out. Right. This is yes. This is a, a kind yes. of uh, of it's a different kind of parenting. It's no longer uh, this is right and this is wrong and here are the hard lines. Now it's a help. Let me help you discern where things are, so that when you do go out, you can be fruitful.
1: Okay, so two things came to my mind while you were talking. First of all, yes, I agree with you that the adolescent years, it is a time of shaping our children to go out on their mission. So I have an entire chapter on raising missionary disciples. So when your kids are little, they tend to just follow what you do. They, um, you know, they kind of believe what you believe. When you enter the teen years, it's really time for you to help your teen make sense of what you've given them Mm -hmm. and what they will do with it. It's a time for them to prepare to be sent out. So you're right. So I, I think that it's critical in the teen years that we give our teenagers opportunities for making sense of what they know and connecting that some way with their heart and deepening their relationship with Christ and also um, what that means for them. So helping them figure out what the faith means to them. So it's a unique stage of faith development in the teen years because they're grappling with doubts, their cognitive development allows them to question what they've received and helping our teenagers know how to deal with that as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I agree with you. The teen years are as a time for us in Christ's stead to prepare missionary disciples. Another thing came to me as you were speaking, the the disciples were dealing with separation. They were looking ahead to when Christ would leave them. And they probably were thinking, oh my gosh, the captain is leaving the ship. <laughs> you know, how are we weird, we mess up so much. How are we going to do this? And so what occurred to me is in the teen years, teenagers go through this void, a lot of the emotional um, chaos in the teen years comes because they have this natural inclination to begin separating from the parents because they're ready to go off into the world. But at the same time, they're losing the safety of those home relationships. And so there's this um, developmentalist call it an attachment void. And so a lot of the stirring up, it comes from that anticipation of the separation. So human beings, greatest human fear is separation. Mm -hmm. Death being the ultimate separation. So, you know, teenagers are facing a huge amount of separation. They're letting go of their idealized vision of their parents. They're letting go of their younger selves. They're letting go of home. They're slowly getting ready to go out. And so they want to both hold on and they want to go out. Um, and so, what did Christ do? He bridged the separation. He said, what? I'm, I'm still going to be here with you. I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and, and you're prepared. He encouraged, and he left them with something. So, parents do the same thing. They, they bridge the separation for their teenagers by saying, yep, yeah, you're going to go off, but I am always your safe harbor. I'm always going to be here. There's just so much there and that one insight that you had that we could unpack. Well,
0: and I think of, uh, there's a few things in in that moment. One, he, he encourages them. He tells them that they're going to be able to do even greater things than I've done because I go to the Father. But then then he says uh, to them, uh, stay here uh, and, and pray until you receive the Holy spirit until, until uh, you'll receive power and the Holy spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. So he leaves them with an expectation, but also with first steps, right? I'm not going to tell you everything. You don't have to figure out how to, how to live in the Holy spirit. I'm not going to give you those step-by-step instructions. I'm going to tell you how to get there. And they only had to do that for 10 days, right? Um, Uh Stay here and pray. uh, And you will receive, you, you will be my witnesses. You'll receive power from the Holy spirit. So, there's that, and I think so often we want to um, to maintain that student-teacher discipleship disciple-master role, rather than bringing our kids, recognizing that they are going to be empowered, uh, and give them those simple instructions that they can live out in their own kind of context. Uh, I know for me, um, it was a shock and a surprise when after confirmation, my children exhibited very different charisms than mine. <laughs> and, you know, I kind of, you, you expect that they're going to have their own personalities and their own preferences. Um, and yet there's still this kind of parental thought of, well, I'm I'm building up little me's, right? I'm the, the mini me's that I'm going to have <laughs> running around. And all of a sudden uh, they come out of confirmation empowered to do just very different things um, in their spiritual life, not just in their, you know, their likes and dislikes. And it's an eye-opener, but it's also a uh, a challenge for us to rise to, to say, I have to increase, I have to decrease so that they can, through the power of God, increase in their own way.
1: Yeah, you're right. And that's because we um, only see what we see. And God is working beneath the surface. And I had the same experience. You, you know, even um, you know, um, my older son, when he was a young teenager, um, this isn't about, you know, confirmation and charisms, but he was very um interested in aeronautical engineering, loved airplanes, I homeschool. So I set up a really great stem high school program for him. He was planning to apply to the Air Force Academy. I thought I had this all planned out. And then when he was at the end of 11th grade, he began discerning a call to the priesthood. And I I didn't even know you I thought you had to go to college first to go to seminary. I didn't know. And so um I'll fast forward. He is now a seminarian. He's a he's a major seminarian, so he's two years away from from um, ordination, if God willing, if that's God's will. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, in retrospect, I see that as a parent, I was seeing the gifts. But God's plan was for him to use those gifts in a different way. His being drawn to the military was that he wanted to lay it all down. He's always done everything big, like not a little bit. He just wants to be, you know, live in a, an heroic life and lay his life down. And um, that is what he's doing. And anyway, so I I agree with you. At the confirmation stage, I think my concern... So I'm a confirmation teacher. My concern, I've only had two kids confirmed so far. um, is I'm concerned and what I see in my other students is that after confirmation, they think they've graduated from church. Have you experienced that at all?
0: You So specifically back when I was doing DRE work, there's definitely that challenge. And there's, a, a, I think, a number of things that play into that, some of which I think stems from the model of formation that we choose. Uh, uh-huh. As the more our formation looks like classroom formation and looks like um, here are the extracurricular tasks that you have to do in service projects, the more it looks like high school, the more they think uh-huh. they've graduated when it's all, all over and so it, right. it's that process of saying how do i engage them in the faith and and equip them for uh, for the work of ministry without just making it hoops to jump through and tests to pass
1: yeah and how do we miss that so i think that um, your your experiences it's, and my mine has been very similar and i see that if we just give them a, you know, a, some, a checklist, they need to do all these things, bef- you know, before they're confirmed. And then they're confirmed. They don't. We need to make sure they understand that this is the beginning of uh, your own faith, where you say, "I'm planting my stake in the faith. I want to make the faith my own." Prior to that, they accept the faith and live out the faith because it's our faith. And after confirmation, they should say, "This is." My faith, and not only that, I want Christ to form me. I want Christ to form um, my choices, my identity. And I have been alarmed at how many kids actually think that they don't need to go go to mass anymore. They don't need to do anything because they've graduated from church. I I collected all my
0: sacraments. I don't don't need to. Yeah, exactly. I've got them on the shelf. I've got my display. Yeah. Tick, tick, tick. So. I think it's easy in a in a conversation like this to commiserate and to identify all of the problems in the world uh, and and even the problems within our own communities and and institutions and families uh, but i want to step back to that uh, that inner uh, between the resurrection and the ascension that uh, that intermediate time where jesus encouraged them and gave them very simple, here's your first step kind of directions. So now let's uh-huh. take this to a, to a place where we are, uh, as parents, wanting to root our children in the faith. We're seeing the rise of the nuns, the people who don't claim any religious affiliation. And we uh, we know that statistics are not on our side. Maybe we're a little bit nervous that we're not doing enough to prepare our teens, what would be maybe two or three initial steps after they go and they pick up the book, Rooting Your Teen in the Faith, A Field Guide for Catholic Parents on OSV, uh, what are some beginning steps to say what I have been doing and the way I have been parenting them as children is not going to suffice to parent them as teens. And so I want to take A, B, and C steps to get started in rooting my children in the faith, my teens in the faith.
1: Right. So what steps can we give parents? I would say, um, first of all, okay, I'm going to say you have to understand the battle and you have to understand that you're the great warrior. Okay. And so what I mean by that is that many parents think that the reason we're having such a hemorrhaging of Kids from the church as they enter young adulthood, they think it's the church's fault. They think something's gone. you know there's a problem with the programs at at the parish, and maybe that's true. But parents, by far, without a question, without um, any question, they are the most powerful influence on religious transmission from one generation to the next. That makes parents uncomfortable for many reasons. And, and they don't want to believe it. They want to believe the answer is over in the building that, you know, where the kids meet, the teenagers meet. But you, you are the answer, right? So first understand that there's a battle going on for our children's hearts. It's a real battle. And we have so many enemies against us. The culture does not... It used to be that culture facilitated faith transmission. It looks like everybody, whether, you know, you were a Protestant or a Catholic or what have you, it was just part of um, the larger culture. Now we have a very, very secularized culture. And, you know, when I was growing up, you know, it was not weird to be, um, you know, it was still quite secular, but it wasn't considered weird or you wouldn't be attacked for being a person of faith. Our kids are growing up in a world where just basic principles that have shaped western civilization are is being questioned. So we really we're raising our, our our kids in that world. We're raising our kids in a world where it's assumed that parents are not relevant in a teen's life. Okay? That seems normal to us because you and I were raised in that world. So in the mid 20th century, there is this seismic shift in the way families live together. There wasn't even a teen culture before the early 20th century. There was no such thing. So now teens are raising each other. Okay, so we could have a huge conversation just about that problem. Okay, so we have this problem, but the answer is not in a program at your parish. The answer is you. Okay, so surprisingly, I'm going to say the first step is to have fun with your teenager, is to collect your teenager, because the answer is in your relationship with your teenager. Mm -hmm. And so if you have kids like TL's kids who, after confirmation, know what their charism is, they know what their mission is. That's incredible. So you just continue nurturing that, guiding the those children, helping the match make them to opportunities in the parish. But say these your the listeners aren't there, the teens are resistant to the faith, or they're not interested, they're shut down. The first step is to ensure the relationship is healthy because. Your teen has an a natural inclination to want to follow you, but the culture is getting in the way of it. So collect your teen, have fun with your teen, you know, um prioritize your teen. Teenagers have just as many inclinations to want to be loved, to belong, to be significant, to um, matter as little children, even more so. And then the second thing is to. Find out where your teen is at in their faith life. Are they, are they asking questions? If they're in their early teen years, they may begin to ask questions about basic church teaching, but they're afraid to ask you. Mm-hmm. Open up, I, I have no taught nights, like no, um, no topic is off the table nights, right? Where my teenagers can ask anything they want about homosexuality, about why does the church do that? Well, why do we even have to go to mass? No topic is off the table. Sometimes I don't know how to answer their questions, but they know that I am not afraid of their questions. Mm -hmm. Because if you are the person your teen can go to to ask those questions, you can help them find answers or you can answer their questions or you can connect them to people who can. So let's hone in. So I would
0: say those are the two steps. Let's hone in on on those two steps for just a moment. Um, One of your other projects is you host the General Catholic Parenting Podcast. uh, And and I... I've heard that term probably more in the last two years than than I'd ever heard. You know, I don't know that I had heard of it before the last two years. Um, But there is an intentionality to the idea of gentle parenting that, that I certainly wasn't raised with. It was more of a, let me tell you here's the right and here's the wrong. And it was very much more directive than it was relational in the way that you're talking about. Um, I think that, it's very easy to get flustered by questions and to, to try and be that directive. Well, you know, just trust the church. You, you don't need to, you don't need to worry about it. Just trust the church without being willing to say, you know, that's a really good question that I don't have the answer to. Let's go look in the catechism. Let's go ask the priest. Let's see if we can find the answer together, because I'm interested in in that question now as well. You've raised it and and I don't have a good answer. So we should both go get that answer together. Um. To be much more open to the doubting, because remember even Thomas the Apostle had his moment of doubting, and it was in the encounter with Christ that that was answered. And you can't bring someone to encounter with Christ if you are uh, too nervous about getting the answer right on the first try.
1: Yeah, it's a distinctive stage of faith development this stage, this is searching faith stage. Not all teenagers, um, you know, doubt the existence of God or question, you know, aggressively the teachings of the church, but every single teenager who's on a healthy path of uh, faith development has to go through this searching faith stage where they have questions. And you are so right that One thing that's so exciting about the adolescent years, it's the awakening of the mind and that they have these questions. And our role at that point is so important because you can actually model for your teen what you do when you have doubts. Mm So you can say, oh, yes, I had questions like that, too, when I was your age, and I really didn't know where to go for answers. Here's what I did. So you can... Number one, you're modeling that doubt. Doubt is part of the path of spiritual growth. That it is not something to be ashamed of. Because guess what? God already knows you're doubting. Mm -hmm. He's not shocked. (laughs) And then you're saying, and you're and you're leaving the door open for your teen to return to you again. So you're showing your teen how you deal with doubts and where they can go to find answers, and that it's normal to have questions. So just just to I want to distinguish that, though, the, the honest questions from a teen who's very, um, how can I put it? Like they're hardened and they're, they re, they're rejecting the faith only as a way to reject the parent. It's very different from a teen who has questions just because they're growing as a Christian. In this case, when you have a teen who's hardened up and shut down, and is refusing to follow the parent in matters of faith or anything else for that matter, you're looking at a relationship problem. Yeah. And you're, that, that's, an, that's a completely different issue. And you're better off to start by healing that relationship before you, um, you know, deal with anything
0: else. I, I love that you mentioned that earlier as well, that one of the best things that you can do to root your children in the faith is to have fun with them, right? to uh-huh. to to get off the phone, to get off the work call, to get off whatever else you have going on and have FaceTime that has nothing to do with the issue at hand. Um, In the summers, we we live in a beautiful part of the country and there's lakes all around. And so uh, I'll take just one kid with me and we'll go out uh, on kayaks and spend some time on the lake doing nothing in particular and talking about nothing in particular and just the act of being present to one another with no pressure and no stress, the conversations that come out of that are some of the best ones that we've ever had because we don't go looking for the conversation. Uh, What we're doing is we're looking for presence and that presence together builds trust and that trust allows those questions to come out.
1: Oh, I love that. And you're so right that people think evangelizing your child, it's when you're you know, teaching them to pray the rosary or you know, teaching them the catechism. You were evangelizing your children out on that lake. Mm-hmm. How did Christ evangelize and um if shape the disciples and evangelize the disciples in relationship and encounter by eating with them, by living side by side with them? He probably did chores with them, just natural part of everyday life. It begins there. And you're right. I'm in, I'm always amazed at just If the relationship is at ease with my teens, the conversations flow rather Mm -hmm. than I haven't connected with them all day. And then I say, did you do your homework? (laughs) And, you know, why, you know, did you, did you do your morning offering? You know, if I, if I, um, if I do that, it's just, it's just so jarring. Like I would feel the same way if my husband did that Mm -hmm. to me. If we begin evangelization with love, then... You know, love is the beginning and the end. So begin with love. Begin with that connection.
0: We're talking today with Kim Cameron-Smith, author of the book, Rooting Your Teen in the Faith, a field guide for Catholic parents available on our Sunday visitor. You can find more information about the work she does over at KimCameronSmith.com. There you can find the Gentle Catholic Parenting Podcast and the Intentional Catholic Parenting blog. There's so much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today about parenting teenagers in the faith. Uh, The book is Rooting Your Teen in the Faith, a field guide for Catholic parents by Kim Cameron-Smith. This is on our Sunday Visitor Press. Kim, thanks again for being with us. So lovely to be here. So there are I think a couple of um, directions that I want to go here uh, I think there are two specific um, scenarios that that parents can find themselves in uh, a parent who who has done this before or maybe they they feel confident in the things we've already talked about uh, we're just we're we're gonna go let them buy the book and we're going to ignore them for now there, <laughs> there are there are a couple of other kinds of parents. Uh, the one is the parent who is very concerned and devout and wants their children to have a, a deep connection with God like they have. They just don't feel like they're equipped to answer the questions. They don't feel like they have within their uh, their, their tool belt the tools needed to pass on the faith uh, because everything that they've tried hasn't worked and the kids just aren't getting it. The second parent, and we'll we'll revisit that in a second. The second parent that I want to address is the parent who has had a difficult relationship with their child. And it is manifesting here in these teen years as that opposition you were talking about earlier. And they recognize it, and they they maybe they've heard about gentle parenting and they think. I could never either I could never do it or I've done too much so far I could never get there now I can't undo what I've done So let's start with that second parent the one who says I don't know how to undo what I've done to be able to give my kids something healthy now is it too late
1: Yes and the big thing about this um this parent that we said is that they're concerned, but they're also devout. Mm -hmm. So I want to encourage those parents because the research on this is very clear that if the faith matters to you, if the faith seems to make a difference in your life, if the faith seems to help you, you know, grapple with pain and navigate obstacles, your teen is paying attention to that. As long as they, as long as you're showing it. So there there can be a parent who's very devout, but it's a private devotion. They don't want to turn their teen off. So they, you know, pray in the morning and they do this and that, but their teen doesn't know about it. So the teen has no idea that that is part of the source of your strength. Even if your teen is seems disinterested, they are paying attention to what you're doing. So Christian Smith, he's a Catholic sociologist at Notre Dame, and he has found that the most critical thing parents can do to transmit the faith to their children is live your faith vibrantly. Live your faith out loud, joyfully, when the faith has helped you through, when, you know, God has helped you through something, just share it matter-of-factly. Oh, I was really nervous about that meeting with my boss today. I prayed, you know, a, a few Hail Marys and I got through it and I gave glory to God. Our Holy our holy Mother is so good, you know, just very matter of factly. And your kids pay attention to that. So even if you think they're just rolling their eyes, they may even roll their eyes. They are paying attention. And later when they're in situations like that and in, in early adulthood, they will tend to find answers in the things that you found answers in, right? If they're paying attention to you is that one of the sense? things that
0: it certainly does and one of the things that 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 style of communication requires in addition to the visibility is vulnerability from the parent i have to be willing to admit that i was stressed about that meeting in order for me to be able to share how my spiritual life helped me get through that i have to and and this goes for the parent who might feel like they're too far gone as well, I have to be able to admit, Hey, you know, I was a young parent. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't handle that well when you were younger. And I, I'm really sorry for that. I want to make uh, a different relationship now. So there's a humility and a vulnerability that's required an authenticity that's required uh, for us to engage with our children in a way that's going to, to last.
1: Yeah. And teenagers in particular know if you're not being authentic. And so being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to, you know, um, admit when you've made mistakes or that you haven't attended to something enough. I'm a revert to the church. I returned to the church not long before I became a mom. Guess what? I did not know that confession was required. I honestly didn't know. I'm not sure how I missed that. So, you know, when my older son was going through CCD to um, you know do confession and his first Eucharist. I was like, wow, I did not know that. Well, we should start calling every week, you know. And I think I I had this very delighted demeanor about all the things I was learning about the faith, and I, my kids. It was very contagious. So my mm-hmm. my I hear my kids saying all the time, "I love being Catholic." I used to say that all the time when they're, "Oh my gosh, I love being Catholic." I did not know that, and so. I just want to encourage those parents who think I don't know enough or I wasn't giving my kids what they they needed. It is okay because God knew that you had those gaps in your understanding and he still gave you your child. You're the right parent for your child. And so now your role is just to accompany your child and ha- and show that vulnerability, admit where you didn't understand something like like me or you didn't attend to something enough even the concluding the relationship or bringing the faith into the home and just just keep going just keep going you need to just accompany
0: and love and that will get you a long way so accompany and love uh i'm curious how maybe maybe you have an example of a a way that has manifested in your own family? Well, what does it look like for you with your children as teens to accompany them? Um, how does it play out specifically for you?
1: Like, would it be in a in a matter of faith, or maybe a tension I've had with one of my children and how I navigated
0: that? I would say either one.
1: Well. I mean, I don't want to say too much personally because I want to protect my kids' privacy. Um, but for one of my children, um, we went through a period during adolescence when I was not realizing the things this child was being exposed to on social media and some of these, I don't know, there are these apps where they chat together. Mm-hmm. And... um I was in way over my head by the time I realized what was going on. And I try to lead with, you know, a strong lead, you know, a confident lead, but a warm lead. And something had gone wrong in my relationship with this child. And she was not um, following me anymore. And so I knew, and she wasn't even letting me feed her. So it's just a basic thing that our children want us to feed them. And so I had to start at the very beginning and just admit that I did not realize this was going on. It wasn't her fault. I had to um, impose some limits. And then I just began by repairing the broken attachment. The, um, The wounds were there and it was it was I was responsible for keeping her safe. She wasn't responsible for keeping herself safe. I was the grown up and um you know, and then we moved forward from there um so it was not a faith problem, but it was a um beginning to believe things in the culture about sexuality and things like this that I it kind of caught me off guard because it's not something I had um. I thought I was going to deal with this, the young age that she was. But, um, so I don't know if that's the kind of example that you're looking for, but it was just a admitting where I had gone wrong. And the big thing was taking responsibility. I did not blame her. So she, Mm -hmm. she is responsible for her choices, but she was not responsible for the fact that I let her, I mean, she said, can I go on this? I forget what it was called. It was some silly, like, chat thing kids go on. And she was chatting with people she didn't even know. It was complete strangers. And thankfully, nothing worse happened. And I was responsible for guarding that gate.
0: And I had op- let the gate open. And I think that there's a, a a bit of peer pressure for us parents as well. We want our children to... To be connected, not only to ourselves, but we recognize their need for connection with their peers. We don't want them to be isolated. And so there's this sense of, well, I guess, you know, I want you to be able to chat with your friends. I want you to be able to do that. Sure, go ahead. Um, it's so easy to, it with good intention, miss something that ends up being harmful or 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 causing pain. Uh, our kids, we, uh, we have made the very definitive, but difficult and unpopular decision to not do social media with the kids at all, largely uh-huh. because we want them to be able to escape from it. Right. They had a, right. a, if they have a bad day with the kids at, with their friends at school, if someone says something mean to them, well, they can come home and and it's over. When they all have social media accounts, when they're all engaged uh, constantly in that twenty-four-hour cycle of online culture, you can never get away from that kind of of detrimental relationship. So, um, can I just
1: say how wise that is? What we we're saying because teen culture, youth culture, it's so wounding. Even mm-hmm. at its best, it's wounding, and our kids are on edge when they're in those peer groups. And so your intuition is so beautiful because you realize your kids need a break from that. And in a healthy relationship, the teen actually isn't as affected by the peer wounding because you matter more than the peer. You you matter and they have time to decompress from it when you put boundaries on these kind of um, artificial social, con- I mean, Social media is artificial. It's not a real connection. And you're very wise to put boundaries around that. And I learned it the hard way. <laughs> so well, it,
0: it, even, even with those determinations, there's all kinds of other pitfalls that are out there. And, and I think it can be tempting because those social relationships are so confusing. It can be tempting to say, you know, I don't want to meddle too much. I don't want to get in the way. Um. And and in that, not accompany our child through some of the most difficult navigations of social relationships that that they're going to face. We we have to be able to walk with them and help them, not to tell them what to do and what not to do, but to help them discern and to form their own conscience, so that they can make decisions uh, in in an informed way, to be able to uh, to recognize pitfalls on their own. Because we don't just say, hey, don't do that, but we say, hey, you know, take a look at why this might be um, a, a dangerous or a negative interaction and walk them through that process.
1: And asking them questions like, why do you think this is not a good idea or do you think this is a good idea? In the teen years, you're right, instead of being directive, we're trying to help our teen recognize themselves, what the problem is, and help them brainstorm how to find solutions or direction and providing them with discernment tools for, um, you know, how to deal with when they've damaged a relationship or when someone's bullying them or when they're um, faced with um, a big decision, you know, we're giving them tools okay. so they can navigate those um, ex- those experience
0: themselves. My my favorite game as of late with my kids. It's not really a game, but it's a, a process. Uh, some of them are prone to anxiety, and so we have begun playing uh-huh. the game as they begin to get anxious about a thing. Uh, what's the worst that could happen? So, or, or the and then game. And I say, well, why are you upset? Well, this is the why I'm upset. Okay. Well, what's the worst that could happen if that if that happens? Well, um, then this this would happen. Okay. And then and then what's next? And walking through through that process to see, you know. It's not really all that bad of a thing. It's not preferable, but it's not the end of the world. And the anxieties that I'm carrying because of that thing really are not warranted for for the level of of danger this is. Because they 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 feel like they're going to mess everything up if they don't if they don't do it perfectly.
1: Yes, and the other thing, I've had a few kids with anxiety as well. Um, my older daughter, when she was about to launch off to college, I knew she really wanted to go but she was also afraid that she wouldn't make it. So at the mm-hmm. beginning of the summer, I told her that, you know, going to college, it was like a dragon sitting on a tr- on a treasure. So she really wanted this treasure. But as we moved toward the beginning of the college year, the dragon would get bigger and bigger. And after a while, she might only see the dragon. But I told her that at, at, when she just continued going, the dragon would disappear and she would only have the treasure. And so I explained to her that oftentimes in life, we have mixed feelings. We really want to give the speech, but we're terrified we don't want to do it. We really want to try out for the swim team, but we're afraid we're going to fail. These mixed feelings are natural and it's often the dragon and the treasures thing. And so what can we give our kids? What prayers, what tools? And and how do we be the Safe harbor so they have someone to lean on so they can make sense of it and not feel like the dragon is too big. Yeah.
0: If it feels like it's out of reach, mom and dad, and you don't know that that kind of relationship is possible, I've got good news. It is. You're dealing with the dragon and the treasure as well. Just keep walking towards it. Be that accompanying, loving, non non-jud- judgmental uh, parent who can help them discern and this is going to work out. You've got this. Uh, We've been talking today with Kim Cameron-Smith. You can find out more about her work over at kimcameronsmith.com. She's the author of Rooting Your Teen in the Faith, a Field Guide for Catholic Parents on Our Sunday Visitor, Discipleship Parenting, Planting the Seeds of Faith also on Our Sunday Visitor, and is the host of the General Catholic Parenting Podcast and blogs at Intentional Catholic Parenting. Kim, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Oh, thank you, TL. It's been a delight. If you missed any part of my conversation with Kim Cameron Smith, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And while you're there, there is more. Each and every week, we record an extra segment with our guest that we make available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air, and in gratitude, we like to give them a couple extra questions with our guest and a deeper dive into the topic there at outsidethewalls.com, click that Patreon link in the navigation bar and look through some of the older extra segments that are now available to the public and see if that might be something that would be interesting to you. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and church history. <phone rings> That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, biblical commentaries, original language research, and so much more. You can learn more at verbum.com. Our reading from scripture today comes from the book of Deuteronomy, from the beginning of chapter 6, and then a little from the end of chapter 6. Now this is the commandment. The statutes and the ordinances that the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land that you were about to cross into and occupy, so that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life and keep all his decrees and his commandments that I am commanding you, so that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe them diligently, so that it may go well with you and so that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children, and talk about them when you are at home, and when you are away, when you lie down, and when you rise, bind them as a sign on your hand, fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then at the end, when your children ask you in time to come, What is the meaning of the decrees and the statutes and the ordinances that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your children, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord displayed before our eyes great and awesome signs and wonders against Egypt, against Pharaoh, and all his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land that he promised on oath to our ancestors. Then the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, For our lasting good, so as to keep us alive, as is now the case. If we diligently observe this entire commandment before the Lord our God, as He has commanded us, we will be in the right. That reading comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter six. The beginning of this chapter gets a lot of play. You hear it often uh, specifically when we're talking about parenting there right? write it on your doorposts teach it to your children diligently uh when you rise up when you when you go to bed that gets a lot of play we hear it and and we know it we recognize it but i don't think that we often get to the end of that chapter and i think that this is the teen chapter the the the, the teen part right the first part We're teaching it to our children. We're repeating it. It's catechesis. We are echoing those words over and over again. Here is right. Here is wrong. Here are the things we have been commanded to do. That's very much the world that we live in as parents when we are raising our our small children. And then they get to be teens and they push back against it, they have questions. When your children ask you in time to come, what is the meaning? Why are we doing this thing that you've told us my whole life? Why are we doing this? Notice that then it becomes testimony. Then it becomes personal. Then it becomes relational in a different way. It's not just here are the commandments and I'm teaching them to you. It's here is my experience with them and here is why we do it. And I think it's just a beautiful picture. Our reading from Church History today comes from a homily on the Song of Songs by St. Gregory of Nyssa. When love has entirely cast out fear, and fear has been transformed into love, then the unity brought us by our Savior will be fully realized. For all men will be united with one another through their union with the one supreme good. They will possess the perfection ascribed to the dove according to our interpretation of the text— one alone is my dove my perfect one she is the only child of her mother her chosen one our lord's words in the gospel bring out the meaning of this text more clearly after having conferred all power on his disciples by his blessing he obtained many other gifts for them by his prayer to the father among these was included the greatest gift of all which was that they were no longer to be divided in their judgment of what was right and good, for they were all to be united to the one supreme good. As the Apostle says, they were to be bound together with the bonds of peace in the unity that comes from the Holy Spirit. They were to be made one body and one spirit by the hope to which they were all called. We shall do better, however, to quote the sacred words of the gospel itself. I pray, the Lord says, that they all may be one, that as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, so that they also may be one in us. Now, the bond that creates this unity is glory. That the Holy Spirit is called glory, no one can deny if he thinks carefully about the Lord's words The glory you gave to me, I have given to them. In fact, he gave this glory to his disciples when he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Although he had always possessed it, even before the world existed, he himself received this glory when he put on human nature. Then, when his human nature had been glorified by the Spirit, the glory of the Spirit was passed on to all his kin, beginning with his disciples. This is why he said, The glory you gave to me I have given to them so that they may be one as we are one. With me in them and you in me, I want them to be perfectly one. Whoever has grown from infancy to manhood and attained to spiritual maturity possesses the mastery over his passions and the purity that makes it possible for him to receive the glory of the Spirit. He is that perfect dove upon whom the eyes of the bridegroom rest when he says, One alone is my dove, my perfect one that reading again comes from a homily on the song of songs by st gregory of Nyssa. often when we hear those words calling us to unity and calling us to uh, to be joined together in the bonds of peace it seems like an impossible task right? whether we're talking about looking at society around us looking at the church but oh, how much more especially looking at our own homes when there are teens present, right? How do you get to that place where we are all bound together in the bonds of peace and uh, and are all united to the one supreme good, every parent in the world asks? Uh, the answer is given to us here through the glory and the power of the Holy Spirit. And here, as we are in that season of the year where we recognize the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church, This is a time for us to reflect more deeply on what it means for us to be led by the Spirit of God. That same gift that Christ gave to the church on the Feast of Pentecost, he gives to us each at our baptism. We receive the Holy Spirit sacramentally at our baptism, and that gift is strengthened and stirred up at our confirmation. It's made more perfect, and we are given the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a way that allows us to not only live the faith, but to share the faith. And so we who are confirmed have that full gift of the Holy Spirit. That gift, which St. Gregory of Nyssa says, is the gift that allows us to be bound together in the bonds of peace. That gift that allows us to be united to that supreme good so that we can be united to one another. If you have a home that feels disjointed and feels uh, overwhelming, call on the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to stir up in you and in your children those gifts that were given at baptism and at confirmation, and then set your mind and your heart on that unity, remembering that unity is not the same thing as uniformity. There can be diversity of thought, there can be diversity of practice, and still have unity. And lastly, and this can be hard for parents, remember that in order for us to reach and achieve unity, sometimes we're the ones that have to do the moving. It's not about making cookie-cutter versions of ourselves. Rather, it's about each of us together becoming more and more like Christ. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's show is brought to you by Eileen Putman and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to learn more. Be a part of the ongoing conversation over at Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.